Good morning, everyone. We continue with our Barnabas series. If, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 9, just as we uh, get started. My name's Matt Beanie. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's a great privilege to preach to you today. It's our joy and uh, we believe as a church to preach from the Bible. The Bible is relevant, always relevant. The Bible is powerful. Its teaching is transforming. Its teaching is what the world needs. It's what we need. It's what this town needs. The teaching of the Bible with Jesus right at the centre is what the world needs. And uh, it's a joy, it's a privilege, and it's relevant this morning. And the word can change your life when you apply faith and action to it. Faith and action come together, don't they? Yeah, I believe the stage is there so I can walk upon it. It's the same thing with the word. I believe it's true, I'm going to walk upon it. A bit like what Paul said about prayer. I heard loads of you when he said, do you believe in prayer? Yay! We walk upon it. Let's walk upon it. Let's pray. Let's do it. Let's change things through prayer. I know it's tough. That's why the Bible says, let's pray and never give up. Because there's a challenge and always um, difficult to sometimes stir ourselves to get off the sofa. But hey, let's do it. I'm going to recap quickly what we're doing. Our current series is called Encourage. And we're looking at the man Barnabas. Encourage. I just want to say how helpful it is. I, I don't know about you, but when you receive encouragements, you, I, I bet you, you receive a lot of criticism, don't you? I mean, bad criticism. I bet you do. If you're at work, I bet you do. In the home, in the school gate, wherever you are, at school, college, I bet you receive a lot of criticism. We need encouragement, don't we? Pete, Pete um, uh, Pembethy brought a prophecy about us being, in this year, encouraging one another. Our desire is that you have fresh courage in your life to live the life that God has for you. Him, right at the centre. You need encouragement. We want to be a church like brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, different generations that can bring our strengths together. Um, Jonathan Pemberthy at the prayer meeting talked about using our gifts like clockwork. Which means meshing together, working together, encouraging each other in our own little... I mean, we don't know everyone as equally as well as we know everyone else, if that makes any sense. But we know some people. Encourage those people. I still remember... Jason Quinnell, the, 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 the email you sent me a couple of years ago, I've got it in a file. It says, encouragement file on my emails. Pete Halton sent me an email last week, last week, I think, saying, you know, just how in, uh, an encouragement to me. And I need it. You need it. We all need it. Because we do regularly, don't we? We've got the devil on our back. We've got our own weaknesses, We've got the television throwing stuff at us, making us feel miserable. And then, you know, our own sort of insecurities. And we just need to be encouraged. 
lift our heads? We do. And as Paul said, encouragement isn't just saying, you know, if you make a complete mistake and mess up big time, you know, it's not encouragement, oh, it's not that bad, it's all right, you're okay, it's all fine, no, it's all right. Sometimes encouragement is saying to someone, you know what, what you did was wrong, it was a mistake, but you know what, it's fine, you can learn from it, you can move on. God loves you, I love you, we're for you. You may have messed up, there's opportunity to grow, isn't there? Do you see what I mean? It, it's not just saying, there, there, it's all fine, because sometimes it's not fine. Sometimes I behave badly. Sometimes you behave badly. I sin, you sin. We need to encourage one another. As Paul says, the word parak- parakletos, encourage, is used of the Holy Spirit. He comes alongside us. And we need to come alongside one another. I can't do it all. I was so encouraged yesterday. I went to, um, I do this running thing. I wasn't encouraged by the running because it was jolly exhausting. Over in Bexhill, I go with um, uh, Jackie and uh, Otto and a few others over in Bexhill. But what I was really impressed with, there was Marguerite, Stephen, Heather, a few, a few others there. I was just seeing the community of God at work. Kathy, you were there, weren't you? And it was just seeing, you know, I didn't say, I didn't phone anybody up and say, guys, Come on, be a community together, love each other. Really, can you do this? No, they were doing it. They were working it out. They were doing church, making it happen. We're all responsible, aren't we, for this community? You're responsible. I'm responsible. I'll preach the word of God to you. You're responsible to work it out. You're responsible to encourage. We're responsible to be mature, take hold of those less mature. So encourage one another. That's what the series is about. Let's get practical about it. Let's do it. Let's speak to each other. Let's have the guts to say to someone, come on, why weren't you at the prayer meeting? I haven't seen you at any of the prayer meetings this week. In fact, you weren't at any of the prayer meetings last month. Oh, that's legalistic, is it? No, it's not. The Bible says, let's pray and and never give up. Let's encourage one another. We live in a culture, don't we, where it's all kind of, you you can't confront anybody about anything. Or maybe you can, but I think that's the case. It seems to be the culture. But you know what? We're the church. We're of a different book. We're of a different book. Yeah? We have rights and responsibilities in the community of God. And we encourage each other. I hope you've got a friend who says to you, if you weren't at any of the prayer meetings this week, hey, where were you this week? We missed you. I hope you've got a friend who's saying to you, how's your, how's your quiet times going? hope you've got a friend. And if you haven't, and you might be saying, oh, I haven't got any friends like that, nobody like, well, be a friend. Be a friend. Make a fr- Reach out to others. Because remember, the responsibility always starts with you. Doesn't it? As I say to my children, you know, the responsibility starts with you. And, Emily, it starts with you. If you take responsibility, and if you take responsibility, hey, there'll be harmony. You'll work it out. This morning then, in this Encourage series, I'm talking about heart of grace like Jesus. Barnabas, heart of grace like Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Heart of grace. You know, some of you visiting today don't even know what... what, Grace? Does that mean he puts the spoons on the right... You know, gracious, he's gracious. What does grace mean? Grace means a free gift. We've sung about it this morning. Jesus died for you. If you don't believe in Jesus, he died on the cross 
for the world. He died. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And whatever you have done, no matter how bad, no matter how bad, that's how good the news is, no matter how bad he wants to include you, he wants to save you, he wants to love you, he wants to know you. doesn't matter how bad. He wants to include you. Heart of grace. Grace is free gift given to those who don't deserve it. Sarah read from Ephesians this morning. It says those words, included in Christ. And just that, that stuck out to me. The word included in Christ. What I mean by heart of grace like Jesus is like this. The excluded become included. That's what God's heart for you is. The excluded become included. The disqualified become qualified. Those who are outside come inside. Those who are rejected become accepted. That's what God's heart is. And that's the challenge for us. Do we have a heart like Barnabas? Who has a heart like Jesus? to include the excluded. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 9. It should come up behind us if you've got your Bible. Pretty small, but hey, if you've got your Bible. So, Acts 9, 26 to 27. A guy called Saul, later to become Paul, is a persecutor of the church, a murderer of Christians. He thinks he's doing God a favour by destroying Christians. And while he's going along a road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him and chooses him. Jesus chooses a murderer. Okay? Jesus chooses a murderer. Not just a murderer, a murderer of Christians. A persecutor of the church. How bad can you get? He, Jesus, chooses him. He becomes a Christian and then he tries to join the church in Jerusalem. And this is what it says. When he came to Jerusalem, this is Paul, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, but Barnabas, took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how, that's to Paul that is, and how in Damascus, Paul had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, but Barnabas, has a heart like Jesus to include the excluded. Just like Jesus. Jesus had chosen him, but the disciples in Jerusalem were scared to death, not believing that he really was a disciple. My first point is this, a broken relationship. He came to Jerusalem, he tried to join them, but they were all afraid, not believing he really was a disciple. A broken relationship. Imagine how you would feel if one of the leaders in this church came to you and said that a certain person 
they would like a certain person to join your small group. If you don't know what that means, we, we break this church up into small groups. The name, small groups. So that in the week, they can get together and encourage each other to pray for one another, to, to have concern, to, to share, to live their lives closer together. So you can be prayed for, encouraged, just like this uh, you know, is about. So, so you know, imagine this. I want someone, Paul says he wants someone to join your small group. But you've heard rumours that this person has a history of violent behaviour. And they've just become a Christian. Violent behaviour. You know that the person was a major player, to name no names, in a racist political party. And they've just become a Christian. But what makes it even more challenging for you, personally, is that this violence and racism was against people you knew personally and whom you loved. To make matters worse, you've been given helpful advice, inverted commas, that the person, I don't really think he's a Christian, you know, or she's a Christian, you know. I reckon they've got ulterior motives. You weigh everything up and you decide that you, your family, and your small group in particular are just too vulnerable, not really at the right place really, to be having this kind of person to join them. In fact, every small group in King's Church takes the same approach. Everyone shuts shuts the person out Even the leaders under pressure from the church end up saying to the person, I don't really think this church is for you. The person ends up going to a church down the road. The leaders in that church say to this person, why didn't kings accept you then? And he says, she says, well, they didn't really believe I was a Christian. I paint that picture because this is what's happening to Paul at this time. He was a violent man. He was part of a group that were racist, part of a group who were exclusive, part of a group who were very religious, very self-righteous, very violent. And he wants to join the church. The disciples were afraid of him. Paul had a history of being a persecutor of the church. He had hated those who believed in Jesus. He was notorious in his zeal for his religion. He was intolerant of Christians. He was an extreme fundamentalist of the worst sort. He believed he was actually serving God through the destruction of this Christian sect or cult, group, weirdos, false liars, whatever whatever he chose to call them. And this is how he summed it up when he wrote a letter to the Galatians. You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I wonder what your history is. 
I bet it wasn't as bad as that. I was advancing in Judaism before, beyond many Jews of my own age. And I was extremely zealous, that means passionate, for the traditions of my fathers. He was a zealot. He was zealous. He wanted to destroy the church. And Paul was involved in murdering Christians. There was a man called Stephen. He was one of the deacons in the early church. He was chosen because of his, he was a man of the spirit and of faithfulness. He was a man of, a bit, you know, imagine like a digger in this church. You know, a pillar of the church. Paul Woods. Kate Thurston. A pillar of the church. A bit like the people you know. Who do you know in this church that, oh man, they serve so much. Reg, Veronica, Judy. They serve. Give themselves for you. You know it will get done because they're on the case. You know it will get done. You know next Christmas, God willing, all being well, Reg will be on the case. You know, don't you? You know tonight, the heating will be turned on. You know, there are faithful people you know that make things happen, that make it all work. He was one of those. One of those good guys. And this is what it says. They started to stone him because he was preaching to the, the Jews, the lots that Paul was joined to. And as they were stoning him, Stephen also had a heart of grace like Jesus. He says this, as they were stoning him, he fell on his knees and cried out, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, which means he died. He fell asleep. Saul was there giving approval of his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, right? In Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply. Mourned deeply. Imagine the Sunday, you know, when a pillar of the church gets taken out. Imagine the Sunday. Imagine what it would be like here. Not just, not just natural causes now. We're talking about murdered for their faith and their faithfulness. Imagine the Sunday. They mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This is his history. And these are the very people that, that Saul is now looking to join. You understand their reticence, don't you? You understand? I mean, you might, if you're super spiritual, you might say, oh, no, no, I don't understand that. Christians don't act like that. No, Christians get hurt and Christians get fearful and Christians sometimes don't behave as they should. They were scared. 
This was the guy who dragged them to prison and maybe their wives as well. This is the guy that had probably had them mistreated in prison. This is the guy that probably had them flogged in prison. This is the guy that probably, and and his troop, that tried to encourage them and force them to denounce their faith. This is the guy who's now looking to join them. I think hatred might have burned in the heart of many. That's speculation, but I certainly know fear dominated them. Fear, concern, worry. Now, the Bible says that we are to, as, as elders, be pastors of the flock. And we are to look, be, be vigilant for those who are wolves, but are in sheep's clothing. That's part of what we do. It's not easy, and you can get it wrong. But it's my responsibility as an elder, and Paul's responsibility as an elder, to be a pastor of this flock. And sometimes we have to say to people, sorry, you know, we don't think this church is for you. But you can get it wrong. And the church in Jerusalem had got it wrong. They didn't believe he was a Christian. They didn't, they didn't believe that what he was saying was really true. They thought he had mixed motives. They thought possibly that he was still continuing his campaign. Maybe he's gone undercover now. And broken relationships can happen for many reasons. As in this case, a a man's past can break your trust. Somebody wants to join this church, they've got a history. And we have to be careful, don't we? That if somebody is... The truth is this, anybody genuinely repentant, anybody who has come to to Jesus, no matter what their past, is a member of God's church. If they believed in Jesus, if they've been saved, they've joined themselves to Jesus, then they're a member of the universal church and we need to accept them into this family. A person's past can cause us to be reticent, to pull back. We must be careful. A person's race or nationality can cause us to be reticent and to pull back particularly when somebody's language, English, is their second language, we can sometimes maybe find it easier on a Sunday morning, maybe, to talk to the people you find easiest to talk to. I know I can do it. A Barnabas builds the bridge to draw people in. You get that? You understand what I'm saying? That's what he does. Barnabas reaches out. He draws in people. He has a heart of grace like Jesus. And if the Spirit is at work in you, if you are being led by the Spirit, if you are being filled and urged on by the Spirit, then you will become a person that draws people in, draws them in, includes them in. And it's the only way this church will ever grow. The only way this church will ever draw, 
we'll grow in numerically, I mean, is because we've got to network and be a network of loving, a loving community, drawing people in from different races, different backgrounds, people who hate themselves for their past, ashamed of what they've done. In Jesus, it's been washed away. We need to encourage them that in Jesus, because of Jesus, they are now cleansed, washed and forgiven and accepted. A person's age. We must not, we must not exclude people from our lives, from our small groups, because of age. A person's personal hygiene. person's personal hygiene. They're a bit smelly. Maybe you don't like that very much. How are you going to encourage that person? Oh, that's difficult, isn't it? They're in your small group. Encourage them, but we mustn't exclude them. A person's manners. A person's intellect. A person's finances or their class. Oh no, they don't really belong to my group. They're not part of my group because you know, we're, we're of a different financial, you know, we've got money that they don't have. We don't, we don't really, we don't mix. In Jesus, there is one new man. Okay, one new man. Not Jew, not Gentile. One new man in Christ, joined together, united in him. A beautiful picture of what Jesus does and what heaven will be like, what eternity will be like, every nation, tribe and tongue, all together under the love of God. And broken relationships can happen because of the way someone has treated you. Christians treat each other badly sometimes. Sometimes they don't even realise it, realise what they've done or said. Sometimes you heard it the wrong way. Sometimes you heard it the right way, actually, and they were jolly rude and awful and they shouldn't have said it and it was a really nasty thing to say. But that's, you know what? We're not perfect yet. We're on a journey. We all make mistakes. We lose our temper. We say things we shouldn't have said. Sometimes our background joins our foreground and it shouldn't and we become, maybe, you know, we reflect our past a little bit too much. And Jesus talks about, how often should I forgive those who sin against me? Now, somebody asked that question. How, how often, they asked Jesus, should I forgive? Seven times? Seven times should I forgive them? Oh, they did the same thing wrong again. I forgive you. And they've done the same thing wrong again. Oh, that's twice. No, 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 sorry. They said sorry the first time, and they've done it. They couldn't have been sorry. Sorry. Bye-bye. Jesus says, no. 70 times 7, which means you constantly forgive. You constantly forgive. The way a person has treated you can break our relationships. But the most important thing and the most important relationship which needs to be mended and is broken is our relationship with God. All have sinned, the Bible says, and our relationship with God is broken. The world is not as it should be. The world was created good, 
very good. A man, male and female, he created them to be in relationship with him. They chose to defy God, to rebel against God, and we're living with the consequences of a broken relationship with God now. And that relationship needs to be mended. And sometimes we think, oh, we just, it's all about people. We need to encourage people to be, to, to make up with God. You know, people need to be encouraged to come back to God, and we do. But I want to say the other side of the story. God is angry with our sin, the Bible says. God is angry. It's not just you're saying, no, I don't want to know God. Well, God is saying, your sin has separated me from you. Our sin has separated him from us. He's angry with us. He's angry with our rebellion. He's angry with the way that we live. To sin is to go against God's standards. It is to put anything or anyone before God. So you think Paul's bad. Let me just say, we're all just as bad. We've all lived for our own glory and our own pleasure and our own wants and we've missed the fact that God deserves our worship, our obedience and our glory. We've all missed. We've all sinned. And God is angry with it. God's anger is justified anger. Justified anger. It's pure anger. It's holy anger. What do I mean by that? What do you mean pure anger? Holy anger. Anger is never right, is it? But if you're thinking that, I don't know if we know ourselves or the Bible very well. We see in our lives that when a child is abused or the weak and vulnerable have been taken advantage of, that feeling of anger is right and justified. And it's a, it's, it's a, a token, a, a demonstration that you are made in the image of God. That anger, okay, that anger when people are abused is the kind of anger God has. It's right to be angry when the weak and vulnerable are taken advantage of. It's right. Children, it's right to protect them. The vulnerable, it's right to protect them. Those who are weak and vulnerable, frail, it's right, godly, it's like God. And that feeling of anger is justified and that reflects God himself. But when we lash out at our spouse or our parents because they say, oh, we can't really afford the new 3D TV flat screen. When you throw a temper tantrum over things which are not important then sometimes we can think of God's anger like that. No, no, God's anger is not like that. God's anger is over real things, important things. And he's angry. Just like you're angry and it's right to be so. 
You're made in the image of God. God can be angry as well. But God loves us. God loves us as well. He has created us for a relationship with him. And sin, when we sin, when we live for ourselves, we're damaging ourselves. We're failing to find our ultimate good, which is only found in him. I think, haven't we, we've all been in a position where we've been angry with someone and we love them. Someone you love. You love them. But they're living a life which is destroying them. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who is addicted to to a hard drug or something. And they're destroying themselves. And one part of you is angry with them. Another part of you loves them. And the two things are together. You'd love to just take hold of them and save them. You'd love to help them. But the heart's gone astray. And when the heart's gone astray, there's nothing you can do about it. So God loves us, but mankind has walked away. And he's angry with us. And he loves us. He wants us. He wants to save us. He wants to redeem us for our good. He doesn't save us so we can be miserable. He saves us so you can be happier than you ever dreamed of. Eternal life with him forever. Barnabas, so there's a broken relationship between Paul and the church and there's a broken relationship between us and God. And Barnabas builds a bridge. He is a bridge builder. Barnabas brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is a bridge. He's like an, the word is intermediary. He stands between or in other words, he interceded. He stood in the gap between the church and Paul. Between the fearful and the disqualified. He stood in the gap and he brought the two together. Obviously, or not obviously, the point I really want to make is that Jesus does that. There's God the Father who is righteous and angry with our sin. There is us in our rebellion, disqualified. And there's Jesus coming into the world and he wants to bring the two together. Back to friendship. Back to relationship. That's the gospel. No matter how bad you are, he wants to do that for you. Barnabas is a bridge. A bridge is an amazing thing, isn't it? You don't realise the the beauty and wonder of a bridge until it's gone. In the recent floods, 
there were a number of bridges that were destroyed and the, the detours that people then had to make were incredible. And I think people then appreciated the bridges, hundreds of years old. A bridge is an amazing thing. It creates a way where there is no way. We could swim it, I guess. But, you know, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you and your, your you know, Ford Escort, I always bring Ford Escorts into it, you can't get across that river, all right? You can try. It might be the best thing for a Ford Escort, actually, the bottom of the river. But it creates a way where there is no way. A river is deep, a river is wide, it's fast, it can be dangerous. And if the person on the other side tried to swim it in this particular river I'm talking about, they would be swept away. And the river in this case is Paul's past. It was a river that couldn't be, part, couldn't be bridged. Their fear, Paul's past, past, created a river that was unpassable except Barnabas became a bridge. Barnabas made the difference. Barnabas brought the two together. Barnabas, he was a, as Paul said about earlier, he was a man of the spirit and faith. He was a man of generosity, as we'll learn about in a couple of weeks. He was a man who was trusted. He was spiritual. He was faithful. And that qualified him to be a bridge that could take weight. The church in Jerusalem would listen to Barnabas... Why? Because he was trusted. He had grown. The church trusted him. It was a bridge that could take weight. He had proven himself in the church. Therefore, he was qualified to be the bridge. Let's just read, I'll read you something about Jesus. It says about Jesus, Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favour with God and man. And one of the things that's so important for you, if, if we're going to learn from Barnabas, is that you are faithful and you give yourselves and you grow in stature and favour. Because the only way Barnabas could be helpful at this time, the only reason why he could be helpful was because he'd proven himself, he'd grown, and the church trusted him. They said, if, Barnab- if Barnabas says it, we'll listen. We don't trust Paul. For all we know, he's an undercover. You know, he's just here to cause trouble. But Barnabas will listen to. And I want to encourage you, any of you, you, we need to grow in our favour. It says about Jesus, and it's true of us. We must be faithful in the tasks we're given, faithful in the things we say we'll do, faithful in our friendships. And if you do that, you are then able to be able to grow in your ministry. Do you understand? Because you you will only be accepted, you know, the church, the church has got to grow in its trust for you if you're going to grow in your ministry. I suppose particularly, I might say to, to young people here, if you're going to grow in your ministry, then you need to grow in faithfulness, in tasks that you're given. Or say, can please, what can I do? Just like Barnabas, he was able to take weight because he was trusted. And we need to grow in that as well. So Barnabas, 
acted like a bridge. He brought Paul to the church because he had a heart of grace like Jesus. Barnabas was son of encouragement. He desired Paul to be brought in. He desired the excluded to be included. He had a soft heart. He had a a soft, loving heart that had the the best of others in mind. He acted like a bridge. He had a heart of grace like Jesus. It is the ministry of a Barnabas to join people together. It's the ministry of a Barnabas to reconcile people together. I hope that in your life, you hate it when people are divided. You know? I hope it. I hope that if you have a, a relational um, breakup, that you take the initiative to say sorry. I, I want to ask you, how good are you at saying sorry? I'm talking to myself here as well, obviously. How good are you at saying sorry? How good are you at, at that? How, how many times in the last week have you said sorry? To, I mean, meaningfully. Not like that walk down the street, oh, sorry. I mean, as in like, oh, I'm sorry for what I said earlier. I'm sorry for the way I spoke. I'm sorry, I really was too harsh on you. Or, look, I'm sorry I didn't come. I know I said I would, um, but, you know, I, I did something else instead, and I shouldn't have done. I, I, I said I would, I didn't keep my word. How, easy, how good are you at saying sorry? Because that is trying to mend broken relationships, you understand? And that's what Jesus wants. How good are you when you see broken relationships? Going to people, come on, guys, let's work this out. Or, you know, I think sometimes a temptation can be to exacerbate a problem. That's where gossip comes in. Divisiveness. The Bible says about divisive, warn a divisive person once and after that have nothing to do with them. That's how, that's how powerful the Bible is about division. Warn a divisive person once, after that have nothing to do with them. That's how powerful. Because division is the opposite of the gospel. Yeah? The gospel unites. And division, bringing division, oh, they said that to you. Yeah, I, I, I've always, oh, I tell you, that she, oh, she's horrible, isn't she? No, she is. I know she prays out of the front of stuff, but I know what she's doing inside. She just wants everyone to love her. She does, she does, she really does. Yeah, I know, I know. Did you see the way she did the other week? I know. I saw it as well. And Tracy, Tracy, did you see it as well? Sorry, it's a guy speaking. It could be, I'm not, I'm, sorry. It's not just women who, who, who gossip, it's men as well. But all of us gossip, right? Oh, don't dig holes. Men do it as well. We all gossip, okay? And gossip divides. Or do we say, if, if we hear someone saying, oh, what, she's, what, he said, what he said to me, I'll tell you what, was totally out of order. Oh, good mind to go around his house and wring his neck. You say to the person, well, hang on. Just calm down. Let's pray together. And I'll wring your neck at now. Let's pray together. No, seriously, though, that's the sort of thing that happens, isn't it? Let's pray together. They should have done it, and they didn't do it. They said they'd do it, and they didn't. That's totally out of order. Well, come on. Let's just think about it. Talk it through. 
and it may end up the person has done wrong. Well, go to them, talk to them about it. Let's be reconciliatory. Let's be peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, didn't he? For they are called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus' mission was to die on the cross so that broken relationships could be mended. The first one was your relationship with God. That's the first thing he died for. But having died, he wants to uni- and reconciled us to God, he wants to unite a people together, united. And our mission now as a church is to reconcile other people to God, to be a bridge-building church. And that's what we're called to be. Let me just read you this to finish. All this is from God, and the word reconcile, you know what that means? Brought the two together, reconcile. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So Jesus wants us to be bridge builders like Barnabas, peacemakers like Barnabas, just like Jesus. Now, it would be wrong for me to finish without asking you the question about whether or not you know you have been reconciled to God. Paul talked about the Alpha course earlier. The Alpha course is an opportunity for you to ask questions and uh, we talk as best we can to answer your questions. We have some fun questions. We have some fun questions on Tuesday night. People, you know, and we do the best we can to answer them. But come along, sign up for the Alpha course or come down the front here and I'll be happy to chat with you, pray with you, talk with you and it, try and answer your questions if you have some this morning about Jesus. Or maybe you know, you're ready. Yeah, I know Jesus died for me. I know. He's, I want to make him my Lord and Saviour today. In which case, come down the front and we'll pray with you. Let's just stop there, shall we? Should we stand up together? Okay. Okay, guys, you're, you are a bridge, aren't you? That's what you are. You're a bridge to the world, you're a bridge, you, you, you know, you, you have the message of reconciliation between men and between men and God. Well, you see yourself that way, right? As you're going to go out into the town, into your workplaces, you are a bridge. You are a light. You are, you, you, for many people in your workplaces, you are the only person they know who might know Jesus. Be like a Barnabas to them. And many people in your workplaces don't trust the church. They don't trust Jesus. They have fear of the church. They have fear of Jesus, just like the Jerusalem church towards Paul. You need to be like a Barnabas. No. Oh, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's wrong. Christians don't act like that. Well, not in our church, anyway. You understand? Bringing peace. Bringing the, building bridges with people. It's really work hard at encouraging one another 
having great relationships. There must be no unforgiveness amongst us, guys. Now, now you can say, that's all right for you. No, it's all right for me, but this is Jesus' teaching. There must be no unforgiveness amongst us, or at least work really hard at dealing with it. We mustn't have unforgiveness amongst us, because it destroys. It destroys. And 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 the person it most destroys is you, as you hold on to unforgiveness. We must, we must be brutal with it or ask someone, please help me, I'm finding this tough. The Jerusalem church found it tough. You'll find it tough. None of us are perfect. So Lord Jesus, we want to be the church like you. Jesus, we want to be a church like you. Jesus, you, you, you died for those who didn't ask you to die for them. You... You choose those who don't choose you. You love those who don't love you. You, Lord, you forgive. And you're so good. Please help us, Lord, to be really generous with each other as a church. I pray for the peace of God to rest upon us. I pray for the joy of God to rest upon us. I pray for the favour of God to rest upon us. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. For there, the Lord commands a blessing. Would you command a blessing here, Lord? Where there are, where there are those who are lonely in the town, may they find a family here. Where there are those who are excluded, they would find inclusion here. Father, please Build us, grow us, and help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. If you're a visitor here today, there's your welcome area on the right. It'd be great to meet with you. And as I said to you, if you want to come and speak this morning, I'll be prayed with. Come down the front here, and I'll be hanging around for a few minutes. See you tonight at the prayer meeting.